Hello, my name is Dulce Garcia, and I'm the intern for the Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues. As you all know, this year's theme is Moments of Reckoning, Global Calls for Racial Equity and Action. We've made it our mission to ask all our speakers and panelists about their own moments of reckoning. Listen in on a conversation I had with one of our panelists from our kickoff event, Margaret Jacobs. So we can start off with a small intro of what your position is, what you teach, and what you research on. So um, I am the director of the Center for Great Plains Studies, but I'm also a professor of history, the Charles Mott Professor of History. Um, and I haven't been teaching for a while, and I'm not teaching currently, but I used to teach U.S. women's history primarily, uh, and I would teach cl graduate classes on the history of gender and colonialism. And um, um, as a researcher, I've spent really about the last two decades working on what I call indigenous child removal, or in today's terms, it might be more helpful to people to call it like indigenous family separation. Uh, so I've looked at uh, many different ways in which the United States and other settler colonial governments worldwide have um, interfered with indigenous family life and separated children from their families. All right, so this year's theme for the Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues is Moments of Reckoning, Global Calls for Racial Equity in Action. Um, why do you think this theme is so relevant today nationally, but also specifically for Nebraska and locally for Lincoln? This has actually been building for a really long time. Um, there's been multiple people working in all sorts of arenas to try to raise consciousness about this need for reckoning with historical racial injustices of the past. Um, so for example, the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition has been working for about almost 10 years uh, and they've been for some time trying to get people to become aware of what happened in the Indian boarding schools. And we're seeing that bear fruit now uh, with uh, Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, um, calling for an initiative to study the boarding schools and investigate what happened at them. And so, so there's, there's a real spirit of change, I think, around this where people um, coming to realize that we can't hide from this history and we have to face this history um we and once we face it we need to think about how do we respond to that in a meaningful way and how do we make amends for these past atrocities and there's multiple ways to make amends um thinking about local thinking about state-based uh, reckoning, and I would say reconciliation too, is um, really vital that, that this not just be something that happens far distant from us, but that we realize that we're all enmeshed in this and that we all, uh, and I'm speaking for myself as a person of white settler background that, you know, I have responsibility uh, to uh, understand what happened in the place I live and and to be accountable for what happened and to work with people to face this injustice and figure out how to move forward from it. You're kind of, as your faculty page says, you're an expert on 
colonization, decolonization, re reconciliation efforts in indigenous peoples. When was your kind of moment of reckoning with this issue? When was it really when you're like, this is exactly when I, what I want to study or kind of? So when I started studying truth and reconciliation efforts in Canada and Australia, New Zealand, um, and started going to events uh, where they were holding like testimonials from people who had experienced these things. So the big event um, I'm going to talk about the Ian Thompson Forum that I went to is the, the final ceremony of the Canadian Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And there, um, you know, it was just amazing. They, they had been doing this for six years and they had traveled all around the uh, nation of Canada and had meetings where they invited indigenous people who had been taken to the residential schools to talk about their experience, uh, to share that if they wanted. It was not forced in any way. Um, and so going to that event and hearing that was um, very powerful and very moving. And then the emphasis really from the commissioners of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, particularly a man named Murray Sinclair, uh, was that, you know, that this, what you're hearing from people is not their problem. It's a problem that all Canadians share. And as I listened to that, I thought, well, in the United States, that's true too. You know, that um, it's not just, the things I write about are not just indigenous problems. They are something that we settlers have responsibility for. Even if we didn't do it ourselves, we're descended from people who did. And uh, we've benefited from these policies that have been so hurtful and damaging to indigenous people. So I had this little moment of reckoning where I thought, gosh, what could I do as a scholar and a person, you know, to about this uh, or to further truth and reconciliation in the United States? And it was kind of at that moment, which was 2015, where I just started to really think or almost to dedicate the rest of my academic life to this, this kind of reorientation of my work more towards service and collaboration and um, promotion of real reckoning with history and then taking the next step as well as is going towards some form of redress as well. How do you kind of as a white person of personal settler background, navigate these spaces surrounded by indigenous folks, First Nation folks, and Aboriginal folks from Australia. How do you navigate these spaces and find a balance of being an advocate and amplifying these indigenous voices without overstepping? Yeah, and what a great question. And what advice do you give to others maybe in the same position who want to advocate for community without harming it. I love your question because it's something I think about all the time and I've, you know, um, when I talked about having many moments of reckoning, that's what I mean because um, I just, I feel like I have made so many mistakes along the way um, in overstepping. You know, I feel like many times I have overstepped and I've um, tried to do things um, and I think this is a thing that as a white person growing up in this country, 
it's just how we're socialized to, to feel like we're the ones who have the solutions. We know how to fix things. We're in charge. Um, and so sometimes I think that socialization for us as white people, as settlers, um, really gets in the way of, of good relationships with people. Um, so navigating that space, um, and again, I feel like I'm going to continue to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to be learning the whole my whole life. Um, but there are a few things that I think I've figured out or learned or am learning along the way. And, um, you know, especially with indigenous communities, um, relationships are incredibly important. Reciprocity is really important. Um, respect, <laughs> you know, like, so I, I found that really um, trying to adhere to those indigenous values is really important so that I would never think anymore of, you know, deciding, okay, I'm going to study, I'm going to study Ponca history and I'm just going to go to the archives and I'm just going to furiously, you know, find documents and write about that. Um, I would never, never approach it that way anymore. I mean, that's what I was, that many of us were trained as historians uh, to do, you know, it's like, I never perhaps ever talked to a Ponca person, you know, so, um, so now if I were to approach, if I decided, oh, I'd like to write a Ponca history, well, one, I would go immediately to the Ponca nation and say, how can I be of help? How can I be of service? What's useful to you? How could I partner with you? Rather than saying, this is what I want to do. Can I do it? Would you give me permission? It's more, it's always about like, kind of approaching it from a, a position of service rather than what's in it for me you know how can I how can I benefit from this interaction it's more about thinking like what what how can I serve you know another thing I've learned is try to resist being defensive um, when someone calls you out for something whether you know it's whether it seems like it's legitimate to me or not just think about it and be quiet and think okay what did I do you know and what can I learn from that and sometimes it takes a really long time to process that because I I will somebody will call me out on something and it's really hard not to get defensive and so I'm you know I, I'll try to like take a step back but I'll still like at the back of my mind be thinking they're being mean to me, or, you know, they're, that's not fair, you know, I'm a good white person, <laughs> so, um, but then, like, I often, it'll take me a while, but I'll process it, and I'll realize, wow, yeah, that was really right, and I need to, to learn from that. Aside from bringing awareness, contacting representatives, or educating myself, or as people who might potentially watch this or hear this, what are some material actions I can take, simple or radical, to decolonize my existence, my community, and the communities around me? Great question. Uh, so I think for a lot of Native people, I've learned uh, from them that, you know, there's a lot of different ways uh, to make restitution. 
um, for all the wrongs that have been committed. But I know that land is incredibly important and um, restoring the connection to one's homeland and regaining land is really important. Um, so whatever you can do to further that goal, um, and it all starts with learning about the land where you are right now. So where we are right now was once Oto, Missouri land, and the Oto, Missouri, uh, you know, if, it, if they hadn't been removed, the university wouldn't be here. So I think about what could we do, you know, just talking now, you and I, we could uh, learn about this history, we could reach out to the Oto, Missouri nation, uh, we could work with a group of faculty and students and administrators, we could go to the chancellor, we could say, hey, what are we going to do as a university about the Oto, Missouri? What could, you know, this university owns a lot of land, could we give some land back to the Oto, Missouri? So they have a place to come back to their homelands and perform ceremonies or or use it for a garden or, or do whatever they want with it. Um, so I think I think it all starts with like thinking where you are now and what, what are some things we could do uh, here right at UNL, you know, that um, to return land or become conscious of the way that the university benefited from land dispossession and is still benefiting. So in Seattle, um, a group of people started a, a campaign called Real Rent Duwamish. Um, and the Duwamish were the people that were based there. And they basically created a way that you can pay rent every month for living on that land and that that rent rent goes to the Duwamish people so that they can run various programs or whatever they want to do with it. So that's something, um, as far as I know, we don't have that in Lincoln, but we could organize something like that. Um, that's a very concrete thing to, to sort of make us all aware that we are in land that has been stolen from other people and that, you know, like they were not fairly compensated for this land and um, they were removed from this land. So there's... It's there's I think that's a kind of radical but very concrete thing that that we could be doing, you know. I give talks a lot, you know, about my work and um in inevitably I almost always have somebody in the audience stand up and say, Hey, you know, I I get what you're saying, but that's all water under the bridge. That happened a long time ago. We can't do anything, you know, we can't just you know, what do you think we should do? Just give the land back? And he acts he usually acts like this is some like crazy impossible thing and I've started saying well yeah we could and I don't mean all the land but there's huge amounts of um, public lands um, that could be returned to native people I think about Ted Turner and it's millions and millions of acres and how he could return a lot of that land to native people but then there's the rest of us who aren't Ted Turner and you know aren't billionaires and don't own land, but there's things we can do too. Um, we can work with, if we're in a church, we can find out our church's history of working with native people and every church has a history of that. And many acquired land from native people to build their churches. Um, and many established missions on Indian land that were often quite damaging. So what 
if you're a religious person, what could you do with your church to find out about the history of, of how it was involved and, and what you could do about that. So um, environmental organizations are really involved with Native communities. Um, we, Kevin and I just interviewed Lance Foster of the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, and they just got hundreds of acres back from the Nature Conservancy that they're going to use to build a national park. Uh, I say national park, it's the Iowa National Park. So, um, so yeah, if maybe you're an ardent environmentalist and you're involved in a lot of environmental organizations and maybe you can work with your organization to, to partner with Native communities and see about returning land. The next event for the Ian Thompson Forum on World Issues is set for November 2nd at 7 p.m. with Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Professor of Law at Penn State, Shilva Sivras Broad-Wahid. For more information, head over to the ENT website, and thank you for listening.